All right, Johnny. All right, Daniel. We're back for week two. Woohoo! Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about stuff uh, before we hit record and then say, dang it, we should have recorded that. <laughs> and then we sit down and try to think about what we talked about and we try to talk about it while we're recording. Yeah. So. Good day. My name is Dan Bracken. I'm the communication director at Ginghamsburg Church. And good day to you. My name is John Werlinge, and I'm the online campus director at Ginghamsburg Church. This is part two of an extended conversation uh, that we started in episode one, which is our best ways to try church a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. How do we do church differently? That's the question we're asking. You being the online campus pastor here at Ginghamsburg Church, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you hear it a lot. Oh, you know, you can't have friendships online. <laughs> you know, relationships are thin. Like, what does it mean to gather, and why do people value gathering in person over gathering online? Like, are you seeing that real real relationships can happen in digital spaces, or... Is our pursuit of uh, discipleship in digital spaces a pursuit of relevancy? Mm. Um, what's your take? People are people are hungry for connection, hungry for relationship, and it's it's really finding a place to belong. And so, thinking in the the lens and model of church online, still giving people an opportunity to feel like they belong and that they can be a part of something bigger than themselves and have connection, have relationship, encounter the same people week after week after week after week and in other places too, which is the whole goal is to move beyond a Sunday morning experience to how do you build conversation that that lasts throughout the week and, and create connections and relationships and okay, yes, there's value in gathering together physically, but I would rather have a connection that is lasting with you know, some, some people that I know and have built relationship with than to just be another face in a, in a crowd. Okay, in the last 20 years, as everything has shifted online, it's like, okay, there's dating websites, there's job searching websites. I mean, it used to be you'd pick up the phone book and you'd call somewhere and say, hey, are you hiring? Or, you know, you'd, you'd be looking all these different places or it was all about networking. It was all about who you know. But now it's like I can go to Indeed or Monster or wherever, you know, all the, is Monster.com still a job search? I don't even know. See, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, there's there's this this movement to online and it's really a a fidgetal world you know it's this this blending of physical personal real with digital virtual blended society where there's value in the physical and in the personal but there's also value in the digital okay take a step back Look at the big picture of all of the ways that we are engaged digitally with people, mm-hmm. uh, from our website to the app to Facebook and Instagram, other social media channels, right through texting and mm-hmm. uh, just the internet at large, streaming content, YouTube, all of it. 
if the goal is to be pursuing relationships and not relevancy. I wrote an article about this for 1230 Media, um, but the title of the article was Why Staying Relevant is Not Relevant. Hmm. Um, relevancy is an interesting word. I understand its draw. To a large degree, I even understand its importance. So sure, keep striving for relevancy in your churches, but, and it's a big but, uh, the battle to remain relevant is one that consumes and often detracts from our first objective, which is to make disciples. Uh, the build it and they will come mentality of the megachurch boom has proven unfruitful in areas of true discipleship. I think mm-hmm. uh, Willow Creek revealed that in their big reveal study. You know, build it and they will come. They had droves and droves and crowds and crowds of people, but they were only um, skin deep, right? Uh, The projector screen, as a small example, is one thing that currently divides traditional from from contemporary worship. And yet, in terms of function, the screen is rarely being used to its potential. Simply using it for poorly formatted text and low-quality Google search images makes it even less enjoyable than holding a dusty hymnal. (laughs) At least the hymnals have musical notes to cue the melody, (laughs) right? Uh, I, so I can understand why the elders pitch a fit when our screens covered their beautiful, story-rich stained-glass windows. The screen was never meant to be our new hymnal. It's designed to be our new canvas for telling stories. What we call contemporary is already today's traditional. Today's heresy becomes tomorrow's orthodoxy, and today's orthodoxy is already tired and outdated. Mm -hmm. Uh, God came as a baby, right, to share in our humanity, God incarnate. Uh, The same is for us in our neighborhoods. Relevancy alone becomes the cloak that hides our spiritual insecurities. To be incarnate means we are in relationship with our people, down and dirty, nitty-gritty, hands-on relationships. People don't come or go because we have quality worship. Quality worship sustained attendance for a little while, but people come and go based on the quality of their relationships. We will forever be chasing changing technology. That's a fact. But that's not being relevant. That's just being current. True relevancy finds itself in the depths of humanity. Courage must replace fear because God wants to take us to the darkest corners of the world. So take off your cloak. It's time to reclaim our first objective, to create disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And that will always be countercultural. Uh, so that's that's what I wrote five years ago, which I think a lot of that still holds true today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all about relationship, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Everything that we do. It's not just about pursuing the latest and greatest tech, you know. Uh, if... And I think this is a measuring stick for me, which is why I was, which was why I was so excited about VR initially. Like, if it can meet the need of uh, relationships, that deep inner desire to to be in relationship with one another, then it's a technology worth pursuing mm-hmm. if it can improve that. I think that's why I was excited initially to get on board with Facebook my senior year of college because mm-hmm. there was a relational aspect, right? I wanted to reconnect with all of my high school friends that I had lost touch with. Mm. It's the same with VR. That social component was really interesting to me uh, as a way to connect with people in a real way, even if they were far away. Mm -hmm. So is the new tech that we're pursuing 
whatever it might be, improving our relational connection with one another, or is it distracting? And I think that's probably um, a good place to to camp for a mm-hmm. little while before making any um, improvements to our technological infrastructure at our churches. Yeah, yeah. agreed. All right, well, that warmed us up. <laughs> All right, so there are some other things on our list, John, of uh, ways to do church differently. What do you want? Let's go with uh, try something new. Try something new. <laughs> What's the last new thing that you tried, John? Um, a new food, a new toy, a I, new route to work. I don't know. I rode a new roller coaster. I rode the the new Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster at Epcot, and was it amazing? It. It was one of those things where, like, I I purposely stayed away from spoilers because I wanted to experience it, and I got off of it, and I was like, "What just happened?" Like, one one thing that's cool about it is it's a reverse launch, so you get launched backwards. Oh, crazy! Oh, so geez. it it's pretty it's pretty wild. So that's probably the newest newest new thing. I love trying new foods. Uh, I like being in new places. So uh-huh. I'll grab my camera, and my favorite thing to take pictures of is just a new place. Uh, even if I've been there before and I go back, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, it helps with problem solving too. Mm-hmm. Um, I love coming at a, a problem from a new angle that nobody's thought of yet. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but what does this mean for the church? Mm-hmm. So. So when when we say do something new, talking about doing church in a n- new way, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how can we apply that to the church? Yeah, last time we talked about turning those sacred cows into into hamburger. That's right. So we have to be willing to let go of let go of what you know we we think is been working, and I'm thinking of. Moses and the burning bush and God's like, don't be afraid, Moses. And you yeah. know, Joshua's like, hey, Moses is dead. What am I going to do? And an angel shows up and says, don't be afraid. Be courageous. And so, you know, even like the angel appears to Mary and says, don't be afraid. You are highly favored. It's hard to try something new. I mean, it's hard to do something new. Yeah, there's some excitement about it, but there's also a like, oh, well, what if this? I mean, like going back to the roller coaster example. It's like, well, what if, what if it makes me sick? What if I don't like it? What yeah. if, you know, what if it doesn't meet the expectation? What if, you yeah. know, there's so many, so many what ifs, but it's also like, okay, I could have sat and lived in all of those what ifs and not experienced it. Something about this reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend of mine who used to be on staff. His name's Greg Gerken. He was a graphic designer here at Ginghamsburg. We were talking about globalization mm. uh, one time. He was like, there's there's a reason why we're experiencing seemingly more conflict in the world, uh, and it's because of globalization. Now, you can look at globalization as a good thing or a bad thing. U- ultimately, it's it's like not a choice. Like It's integrated into our life. So globalization kind of has this... like. Uh, reach where all of a sudden we are getting into each other's business, Mm, mm -hmm. right? Um, And so my friend Greg 
it's like, well, it's no wonder we have more conflict now because when you're comfortable with what you know and you're encountered with outside opinions or like different realities, um, it's going to create more hyper localization uh, mm-hmm. as a response to globalization because people are not going to embrace differences uh, right away. They're actually going to become defensive. Mm. There's going to be that cognitive dissonance thing. People are going to put up defenses. People mm-hmm. are going to get into fight or flight because they they sense threat to their way of life, right? So th- this could be for, for anybody um, who is comfortable with who they are and what they know. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about trying something new, what is it actually, what are we actually saying here? I think it's to break out of, uh, you, you mentioned courage mm-hmm. and fear. Uh, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear, mm-hmm. right? And so if you look at love as Jesus understood love, that agape love, self-sacrificing love, mm-hmm. um, how how can you get out of yourself, your mm-hmm. own bubble, your comfort zone, if you will? Mm-hmm. Um, love means self-sacrificing. And so you have to get uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? You got to bust out and the way to do that is to try something new, something that you don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually really love Philippians 2 because Paul describes uh, the essence of humility. Uh, It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in His Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition mm. or vain conceit. In other words, like, if if all we're pursuing is our own end game, mm-hmm. our own comfort, right, that's just going to point us inward. We're going to create our bubbles. We're going to create our, our echo chambers. We're going to mm-hmm. create our way of life the way we see the world, and we're going to convince ourselves that the way we see the world is the only way to see the world. Mm-hmm. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, Mm -hmm. not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, right? And so if love is self-sacrificing, if love is self-sacrificing, and humility is actually valuing others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That means like Paul is actually saying here, you have to be an advocate for your enemy, mm-hmm. <laughs> for somebody outside of your bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just like um, saying I've got my interests and you've got yours and that's cool. But like trying something new is actually setting, it'd be me setting aside my love for Kentucky basketball to come alongside um, a Louisville basketball fan. <laughs> which would be kind of hard to do, you know, but it's it's valuing that person's interests above mm-hmm. my own mm-hmm. and actually like advocating for that, coming alongside them and supporting them, you know. And so I, th- I think uh, trying something new means almost like trying something opposite, you know. Mm-hmm. How do you jolt yourself out of what you know and what mm-hmm. your comfort zone is and your bubble and the way you see the world? 
Um, we are not God. I don't know if you knew that, John. <laughs> you and I are, are not God. And uh, so many Thankfully times. so. <laughs> yeah. But we like, we, we box God up into this uh, like nice little bow. Um, mm. And our own worldviews are the same way. They're just, they're boxed up. You know, God is so much bigger. Uh, the world is so much bigger. And, and you can go just to the city over and have a totally different experience and a different life and a different context. Um but the world is a big place, you know. Um, if you have not been out there exploring and getting to know other people and being interested in what other people are interested in, because that's humility, right? Mm-hmm. It's setting aside your own agenda uh, to help somebody with theirs. Um, I think I think then you're really getting into the nitty-gritty of what it means to try something new mm-hmm. at church mm-hmm. anyway. So here's one on the list. Uh a way to do church differently. Demonstration before proclamation. Um, I keep telling my kids that the simplest actions are greater than the greatest intentions, mm-hmm. right? Because you can make great boasts, um, but if you're not willing to put action behind your um, behind your words or your promises... Um, th- you're not going anywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. You're not making. You're not a, a great witness for the kingdom. And so I think when I, when I say declaration before proclamation, it would be uh, the church uh, actually putting some weight, uh, some action to their words. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's living, living out your message. You know, always, always preach the gospel, but only use words when necessary. Right. You know, so it's that idea yeah. of, you know, don't just, don't just say you love your neighbor. It's show how you love your neighbor. I'd rather be known for the things that I do versus the things that I've said and not done. You know, so it kind of, it, you know, I can, I can see that, see it boiling down to more of an integrity thing than, you know, because I don't want to, I don't want to be known as somebody who said I'm going to do this and then never did it. But it's like I just recently read the, the parable of the, the man with two sons, and you know the father, the father said to the one son, son, will you go work, you know, in the vineyard or the field, whatever it is? And he says, nope, not going to do it. But then he turns around and goes and does it. And then the other son says, he says to the other son, yeah, hey, go go work. And he says, okay, dad, I'll do it. And then he doesn't. And so then yeah. it's like, you know, Jesus asks the people then. Which one did the, who, the Father's who, will? Who did what the Father asked? And it's like, yeah. well, the first one. And so, you know, I'd rather I'd rather be somebody, you know, known known for doing the Father's will than, you know, saying I'm going to do the Father's will and then not doing the Father's will. So Yeah. It's about promise keeping, I guess, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the reason why I put this on the list is because there, I, I feel like there are a lot of Christians who proclaim the kingdom of God with their mouth, but then when it actually comes to you know putting the rubber to the road, um, people are absent. Christians are absent from the battlefield, mm-hmm. right? There's a, there's a lot of power in the words that we speak, and I think mm-hmm. um, I think by and large the, our culture's response to the church has been disappointment because the church makes big promises. Mm -hmm. Um, but then people are actually not feeling like they are loved by the church. Mm -hmm. Right. I think, I think if you proclaim 
um, the gospel and then don't follow through with demonstrating the gospel, Mm -hmm. um, then the gospel remains empty. It's kind of like what James says, uh, faith without works is dead, Mm -hmm. right? So what you do with your hands and feet is a way to fulfill uh, the promise, the proclamations of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the proclamations have no power. Yeah. You know, so often the church, I mean, for, for a long time, the church has just been a place of, you know, well, it's become a it's become a holy club where it's like, oh, we're in the church, so we're good. Somebody, somebody that we know was talking about our church and saying, like, well, don't like somebody else had expressed the desire to come visit our church and check out our church, and this person responded and said, well, don't go over there. That's where all the sinners go. They'll let anybody in there, and it's kind of like, <laughs> isn't that the point? Yeah, the, the church is supposed to be, you know, be a place for all people to find hope and help in the name of Jesus. And, you know, if we're, if we're sitting around just judging people, how are we, how are we helping people? You know, how are we, how are we providing people opportunities to experience the love of Christ? If we're judging them or condemning them without getting to know them, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about relationship. You know, it's, we, we have, we have a responsibility as followers of Christ to, point people to Jesus and and if we're if we're judging people we're not doing that. I was struck by Proverbs 4 7, which states that the beginning of wisdom is this get wisdom. <laughs> which I thought was was brilliantly simple. Um I, I've noticed something that's frustrated me in social dialogue lately and it's that many are really quick to offer solutions without first seeking context. Like answers are coming quicker than asking more questions to gain understanding. Mm -hmm. Like gaining wisdom actually takes a little work, right? Uh, Are you noticing this too in conversations with people or is it just me? Oh no. I mean, it's like, we want to, we want to just get an answer. And here's an example. Like take the Ginghamsburg website, for example. I know, and you know, and Shannon, our digital content uh, manager, knows that that website took like a year to create, right? Really strategic thinking through uh, the site map and how how is it going to reach a particular audience and what's the sub-audience. And we talk about ring one, ring two, ring three, where ring one are like our people who are committed and ring two are those who are checking us out, ring three don't know who we are, but they might stumble into our site uh, because they're searching Google for something uh, specific. And so like, how do we organize our website for these mm-hmm. different audiences and how do we categorize things and name things and how do we navigate, how do we like design the navigation menu? And like, there's so much that goes into the, the website, right? Um, I can't tell you how many times over the last year we've had people offer solutions like, Hey, um, I can't find, take the transformation journal, for example. Uh, the transformation journal is hard to find on your website. Can't we just put it on the homepage? Thanks for the idea. That's all I can say because now my mind is like unraveling everything, a whole year's worth of context and work and study, Uh, and research that went into the design of the website as a whole, you know, I can't just 
plop something on the homepage uh, and it makes sense for every single mm-hmm. audience that we have in mind, right? So I, I feel like we have a problem of being frustrated by something in our own world through our own worldview and our own lens. And then we say, well, I have the solution. Boom, here it is. But we don't understand how that might impact how somebody else mm-hmm. Uh, engages with that content or that particular challenge or problem, right? Like your solution that works for you doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so this experience before judgment, uh, for me, it's about rising above the your individual context mm. and seeing the big picture, which mm-hmm. I think many of us are blind to the big picture. Um, we live a spaghetti life, you know? You make one adjustment over here, and you have to really unravel the spaghetti to understand like how it impacts everybody and everyone that's going to engage with the particular thing that you changed. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not thinking through other people's perspectives and gaining wisdom through experience and observation mm-hmm. um, and history, uh, you can make snap judgments and snap decisions uh, that are not rooted in adequate experience you make quick judgments mm-hmm. and come up with quick solutions and think that it's going to be better for everybody. It's like, mm-hmm. no, I run into that all the time. I get really frustrated with that as a designer when people think they have the solution, but they haven't thought about anybody else other than how it's impacting them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I hate that. Yeah. I hate that. It's happened a lot this week. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, have you thought about... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You you design like communication systems, right? Because one person can't manage it all. We've got like 120 things happening in the next three months at this church. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we get the right information to the right people at the right time in the right way for every single thing that we have Mm -hmm. going on? At the same time, be responsible for um, the overall message of the church, uh, man, experience before judgment, um, especially when offering critical feedback, mm-hmm. I think is so critically important. Um, it's, I feel like we, we talk, we keep coming back to like relationships, mm-hmm. you know, uh, experience before judgment, whether it's critique into a design or, uh, speaking into a, um, I mean, think about all of our systemic issues of racism and sexism and classism and all of that. You might think you have solutions, but you don't. Um, What you need is relationship, right, with Mm -hmm. somebody on the opposite side of the aisle. You've got to have wisdom through uh, experience and not just um, following your gut on what you think is right, you know, because that gut of yours is actually informed by the entirety of your experience mm-hmm. or lack thereof. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you could be acting on your gut, but if your experience tank is empty, mm-hmm. that gut's not reliable. Right. You know, the more wisdom you have, the more you can trust your gut. Mm-hmm. And so the beginning of wisdom is this get wisdom, <laughs> go get it, go get some experience, go up, go observe some things, you know, mm-hmm. go read history. Like, how did we get to where we are now? Um, go sit by that person over there who thinks differently than you and learn about them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise keep your mouth shut. All right, John, I got to pee really bad. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's wrap this one up. Wrap what do you want to talk one. about next? Okay. 
Um, doing church differently. How? Let's do. Here's here's one. Um, I really believe that the church uh, is not bound to a building, right? The church mm-hmm. is a body of people. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of tribalism that comes with gathering in specific buildings, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, what would happen if we moved the church out of our gathering locations, our central locations? By that, I mean our facilities that we have. You know, mm-hmm. like here at the Tip City campus, we have our main building, we've got the avenue, we've got our camp care campus down the road. But like, I know that this church really exploded when uh, our original building got too small and we didn't have classroom space, and our people had to have meet for classes and life groups in their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I see one of the items on your list to try church differently would be to host a home or neighborhood gathering or, or maybe a digital viewing party. Um, this is, for me, a way to bust us out of our dependence on our mm-hmm. facilities. What are you seeing in that, and what would excite you about doing church differently that way? You know, when you when you come to a, a church building, there's all this pressure and stress of, oh, I have to... You either think like, oh, man, I have to look, think, act, speak a certain way, and you walk in going, man, am I going to fit in here? But if it's in your neighborhood already people you know it's already a place that you're familiar with it's like oh i already fit here i already know this is where i'm supposed to be for this time in this place in this season and so it kind of it kind of removes some of those layers it removes some of that yeah but then um, but then betty the crazy church lady knows where i live <laughs> and she she keeps knocking on my door <laughs> needing stuff and bringing uh, stuff and right so like but it's also i mean that's that's kind of the the point of the church do you see tribalism amongst churches here locally yeah oh yeah <laughs> who are our local enemies our competition which let me just so let me say let me say we are not in competition with one another. No. Like this is understood. We're all on the same team. And yet still it feels like we are battling one another. Uh, it feels that way. Um, I'll just call it out. Victory and CLC. Uh, we've had a lot of people from Ginghamsburg um, leave here for one reason or another and find new homes at Victory and CLC. And there's nothing against the leaders at either of those uh, churches, but there's something about the tribal nature of um, you can look at sports and teams, you know, mm-hmm. like I'll go back to basketball when Kentucky and Louisville play each other. There are real human beings who play for the university of Louisville basketball team. And there's real human beings that play for the university of Kentucky. The brand that comes with the name on their chest uh, creates culture, you know, uh, it pits two teams against each other uh, in the spirit of competition, mm-hmm. uh, which can be healthy, but still like when, when you're dealing with people who are imperfect uh, and they start to embody the brand of whatever, whatever church they're a part of, man, it just starts to create divisions among us that you feel that are much harder to articulate what those divisions are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like you start to avoid one another or yeah. you start to talk down about one another um, 
but it trickles down to our kids in schools. Uh, Troy Christian School here, uh, when I led a middle school um, small group uh, about 10 years ago, I can remember kids uh, reciting rumors that they would hear mm. about Ginghamsburg at Troy Christian Schools. Mm. You know, It's like they're not hearing that from... Uh, anybody other than their their parents you know they're regurgitating what they're hearing at home Mm -hmm. so like the way we talk about other churches um the tribalism like it's very real to Mm -hmm. me and so this idea of like neighborhood church um (laughs) maybe that would uh, eliminate tribalism between churches but create tribalism between neighborhoods Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know um but you're right. Like to, to be like to the the Jets and the Sharks and West Side Story. <laughs> uh, to be present with Jesus um, among the people mm-hmm. uh, where you live feels like a, a good thing to pursue. Mm-hmm. But then, like you get into the practicalities of it, and you can throw that out there at uh, leadership uh, retreat tables, and everybody goes, "Yeah." And then it kind of doesn't ever take off. Like, I feel like it's not a new idea, mm-hmm. you know? Why doesn't it take off? Why isn't it taking off? Because <laughs> we got to keep the lights on. Because we got to keep the lights. So it's all driven by money. It, it, yeah, because it's, you know, the, yeah, you have to have resources, but there's so much content yeah. available now. It's like people can listen to, 40,000 different sermons on YouTube if they want dang it, to. Dang it. And yeah, but I mean so <laughs> so it's like crap. Yeah, cuz we there we go. We're we're now advocating for no, we're not really advocating well, for. But it, what but. we're saying is there's there's like I mean there's no what is the reason to gather here? Mm-hmm. Um well, there it's not the message anymore, nope. right? Cuz you can get a great message anywhere online. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the music because it's not the music. Spotify, Spotify can get sure. you whatever you want. Sure. And it's not necessarily the relationships because if we shifted to neighborhoods, you would develop relationships all the same as you would gathering here, mm-hmm. right? It's probably in part the relationships that are keeping us connected to this place, mm-hmm. right? Because it's the only place we see some of our friends each week. Yeah. But then the danger is, well, the institutional church doesn't know what her product is anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we start flailing and trying to stay relevant, <laughs> which we've talked about. Yeah. Um, and we become empty shells of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, burnout because we're trying to make disciples, but um, we're relying more on the business side of things than the Holy Spirit to keep us afloat. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Well, and even like you go back to Acts chapter two, it says they met together in each other's homes. Yeah. Breaking bread. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah. At what at what point did we've complicated things, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. If if we got back to the place of focusing on relationships, like, because I think that's what that's what culture is really hungry for, and it's just to be like for for people to be heard and known and you know i think i think that's one thing about a smaller church that's really cool is you can know more people you can have relationship with more people um, and 
you know, it's like there's there will always be a place for the mega churches, the large churches. But at the same time, it's like, you know, what what would the future look like? How would how would people connect better to knowing like, well, hey, we're going to we're going to Dan's house this week, and then you know we're going to John's house on you know on Wednesday, and then we're going to you know Steve's house on Friday. You know, it, it becomes something where it's like, oh, like you know, there's there's a lot less inhibition to bring somebody in when it's hey we're gonna go hang out at at Dan's house versus hey you want to come hang out with us in the you know 800 seat sanctuary with you know music and lights and sound and all the things you know it's like oh well we're having a campfire at Dan's house cool I can sit around a campfire so I don't know How do we reclaim the true spirit of God and um, the original church? Mm-hmm. Just being with each other and breaking bread. Yep. You know, praying for one another. Yeah. Uh, the true Acts, Acts 2 church. Mm-hmm. Next week, we finish our list of ways to try church in a new way. Good day. Good day. Good day.